Welcome back. We're here. Episode three of the Out of the Box podcast, Softball Media Days. What a great week one. Week two is going to be even better. I'm Gray Robertson. My partner, Tom Canterbury, is here. Tom, hello. Did you enjoy week one? And are you excited to hear from all these coaches in week two? Yes and yes. Uh, I think (laughs) we have gotten some just really good stuff. And it's been in some, sometimes it's been surprising how good is stuff that we've gotten just because I, I think these, these coaches are just so happy to be talking softball and talking about their team and talking about just their philosophies and coaching. Uh, and we've really enjoyed talking with them. And I think it's, it's been really good. I hope everyone else has enjoyed it and uh, continuing to get ready for what we're hoping is going to be a big 2021 season. I think the lesson here is don't judge a coach by his or her or judged persona, the persona that we think they have based on our interactions from afar, because we've already talked to two Alabama rivals and they were cool. We've talked Mm -hmm. to some of the quote unquote quieter coaches in the league and they've been exuberant. So week two presents more of that. And I am really excited to get to it. Yeah. I I think you've kind of gotten the, the impression about, how much the sec in particular that the softball it really is a family you you go after each other as hard as you can during the season during the particular games but i think every coach that we've talked to as i said before i think they are very much all about what is best for the game what is best for their for the for the players um not just their players but players in general um and the sport as a whole and i think that's really come through so, folks, if you're listening in, make sure you follow at out of the box underscore pod, subscribe, leave a review, five stars, please, and thank you. <laughs> we would love to hear from you. You can tweet us, email us, whatever. We'd love to hear from you because day three is going to be really fun. Here's what we've got on tap Kentucky with Rachel Lawson, Texas AM with Joe Evans, and LSU with Beth Tarina. Let's break these three teams down just a bit. Tom, Kentucky, the ultimate enigma, as always. Mm -hmm. Coach Lawson kind of agreed when we talked to her in the interview, and you're going to hear that in just a minute, folks. But another coach that was really fun to talk to and another coach, I think, who doesn't really care what she has lost because she knows she has the pieces to be even better in 2021. Yeah. Well, I think with some of the more interesting things that that we talked with Coach Lawson about, not only is the team an enigma, but like they're a kind of unique team because of the way that they utilize their players. They have a lot of the players that both hit and pitch. It's just, we see lineup changes a lot with, with Kentucky that we don't see necessarily with other teams. And I kind of got the, the vibe and the feeling that that wasn't always, that's not always planned, but it just kind of something that kind of evolves as the game goes along with them, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is very interesting to talk to. And, they're going to be a team that is is going to they're going to make some some noise. It's going to be a team that's going to be tough to go in and win a series against because of that that depth and they have so many um, so many different ways that they can different utilities that they can put in. Yeah, we teased it a bit, and I think episode one or two where we said at the end of episode four we're going to give away too early top five. A lot of these coaches have obviously tried to promote their programs and their twenty one teams, and I think tried to sell us more or less on why this upcoming season is going to be good. I think Rachel Lawson made one of the most compelling pitches for why her team is poised to really be something this upcoming year. 100%. 
And I, I, the other thing that I thought was a lot of fun talking with her about is how they kind of have a little bit different perspective because they are not in a warm weather climate for most of the time and how they're able to build a, a quality program in that element that they are uh, kind of in the northern footprint of the SEC and they have to deal with the cold a lot more than some of these other teams do. And I, I think that it really kind of it speaks to her ability as a coach to build that program there. Yeah. The other two teams here on episode three, Texas A&M and LSU, their interviews I did alone, but you've heard them, Tom. Yes. And uh, we're going to break down those teams in a little bit, but let's get to Rachel Lawson. Let's do it. I'm very All excited. Right. Here is Kentucky head softball coach Rachel Lawson kicking off episode three of Softball Media Days. it's time to head to the bluegrass state as we continue softball media days let's talk about the kentucky wildcats with the head coach for kentucky rachel lawson entering her 14th season in lexington coach welcome in how are you i'm great thanks for having me on this is this is truly an honor to be with you guys well it's an honor to talk with you and it's an honor for me to ask this first question because kentucky had this thing last year in 2020 in the shortened season where they played literally the craziest games we've ever seen. Of course, I'm talking about the Boise State 16-14 win where the Broncos hit two grand slams in one inning, which maybe has never happened. I don't know. And then Marshall, uh, the 16-15 win, which actually was kind of the curtain call, little did we know at the time, for SEC softball in 2020. Are those, and by the way, not even talking about the A&M series, which was bonkers in itself, was this maybe the craziest season, even though it was shortened and taking COVID out of it, that you've ever coached? Oh, by far. You know, we're we're typically known for our defense and our pitching, um, keeping the games tight in that way. And, you know, over the past few years, we've really, you know, really done some great things offensively. So that's, you know, that's continuing to get better and better. And in, in some cases, we led the country in a lot of stats. But then last year, we just didn't keep up on the, uh, you know, pitching side of things. So it, it was a crazy, crazy situation. Luckily, we had the offense to pull us through in the end. But, I mean, if you would have ever told me that those, you know, things were going to happen to us when we were on defense and, you know, give up two grand slams and then we would win the game, I, I would say you were nuts. Like, no way. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was crazy. We're hoping not to repeat that. I mean, definitely want to repeat <laughs> winning. But don't want to repeat the way that that's nerve wracking to say the least. I mean, after that Boise State game, when you're watching the Marshall game unfold, are you thinking, "Oh my gosh, not again"? <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. At the beginning, I probably shouldn't say this on air, but at the beginning of the Marshall game, they just started on fire, and it didn't matter which pitcher I went in. At first, I'm like, "Oh my goodness, like this is horrible. Let's just, you know." you know, get out of here, regroup. And, you know, cause we had another tough SEC series coming up. And then all of a sudden we started to mount this comeback. And in at first I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, and then <laughs> I was like, well, we've gone this far. We might as well finish the deal kind of situation. And, and we ended up finishing really strong, but it, it just nuts, you know, all the way around. And I guess if you had to end COVID, it was, you know, and because of COVID, that was a good game to end it on because it definitely gave us a lot of excitement for years to come. And uh, coach, one thing that we've noticed uh, as we've done, you know, we do Alabama softball and have done the podcast is that we always look at other teams and other teams' schedules. And 
we've noticed that uh, you do a in the non-conference you have some really tough slates i remember 2019 i think is what when we looked at it and it was, this is literally the toughest schedule we've ever seen uh and it seems it seems like that's that's uh, your your strategy in the non-conference just uh what is your thought process on how you uh, you do a non-conference schedule yeah well uh, generally speaking, so yeah, in I think it was 18 and 19, we were one of the top teams in the country in terms of strength of schedule. Well, you know, a couple of things. One, we've got to get prepared for the SEC schedule. And so we feel like if we play outstanding teams, it not only helps us get ready for other great SEC teams, but in addition, if we can win some of those games, it puts us in a position to host in the postseason. And, we, and we've been for, fortunate enough to host a lot of regional tournaments here in Lexington. So that's, that's been awesome. You know, obviously the goal is to host super regionals because that gives you the biggest chance of going on to the world series. But, um, you know, so far it's definitely been a strategy that held up for us. Coach in 2020, it certainly looked like Alex Martins was well on her way to being the sec player of the year. She looked like one of the front runners from what we had seen in the non-conference and certainly in the A&M series as well. How disappointing was it for her and for you to not see what she could have been throughout the entire year because she was on a tremendous pace? Oh, yeah. I mean, disappointing is the perfect word because Alex was is probably the most underrated player I had had for the four years she was in Lexington. She was always the player when you needed a key hit in a pressure situation. She was always the one that came through. She was outstanding in the postseason all four well the three years prior to last season so she you know she had done great stuff but really hadn't received the notoriety or you know did not do well in in games where we really beat people handedly so that kept her from you know being an all-american or all-conference or whatever the awards are that people go for so last year she had totally flipped the switch she was on a tear in the you know, whether the team was outstanding or whether the team wasn't as high in terms of the rankings and stuff, she was on a tear no matter who she hit. Mm-hmm. And so it was just really disappointing to to have her career end that way because she's somebody who worked so hard the whole time and, and things were really going well for her. So to see it happen was was a big bummer. And obviously I have the disappointment there and then just the general overall disappointment of how the, the season came to an end. Um, how did uh, how did your team take it, and uh, and and what have you seen from the team since uh, everything got shut down in 2020? Well, you know, it, you know, like everybody else, it was a, it was a definitely a disappointment. Well, it was devastating, really. But yeah. the thing that was also so hard for our team in particular is we pride ourselves in making sure that people get out and in are set for whatever it is they want to do in their career, whether they're set already set with grad school or they're already set with a job prior to the softball season starting, or at least, you know, in an interview process or something. So, right. you know, we, we've always done that and, and we've done it well, but since, you know, our senior class was well on their way in terms of graduating or already set with a job or whatever, it didn't make a lot of sense for them to return. So while, you know, the whole country was, you know, trying to figure out what they were going to do, our, you know, our players didn't realistically really have an option because they had already finished their academic lives. So, you know, it, it's the one time that trying to do the right thing really kind of burns you. But, you know, they're they're tough, they're resilient, and, you know, they love their time. So, you know, I'm sure they'll move on. In the team this year, they've just been very focused. I think because they know at a moment's notice anything can be taken away from you. They, they seem to really focus at practice, and they cherish the moments they're out on the field. And, you know, they've had a great attitude every time we've been out there. That's the one thing I've mentioned with a couple of the other coaches we've talked to. Have you noticed 
not that they didn't have it before, but if you notice kind of a, a renewed appreciation for just being able to get out and, and play softball and be a part of the team? I I think so. You know, you don't, you don't see people, you know, with the nagging injuries as much anymore or the, you know, the things that when you're not in good spirits, you know, all that stuff tends to, tends to weigh on you Mm. and you're not seeing that as much because I think softball for the most part is is these athletes it's their free time it's their happy time it's when they get to leave their dorms or their apartments and you know because they're always doing online learning or or you know quarantining for the most part and so it's it's their time of freedom for lack of a better word so they seem to really be cherishing the moments and and quite honestly they've been playing quite well because of it. Talking with Kentucky head coach Rachel Lawson. And, Coach, a minute ago you brought up the seniors that weren't able to come back even though they had the waiver. That would be Martins and that would be Bailey Vick, two of statistically the best bats that you had in 2020. So how do you go about replacing those two players in the lineup? Well, you know, we we always talk about not necessarily replacing players, but who's going to succeed them. You know, and, and I think the hard part is you had to – you know, two years prior, you lost an out three all-conference players and two All-Americans in um, Abby Cheek and, and uh, Katie Reed. And then, you know, Jenny Schaefer was also all-conference. And then so you that class graduated. And then last year's class with Martins and Vic, they were also outstanding. So we've had back-to-back years where we've lost quite a bit of offensive potential. With that said, I think we've done a really great job of just continuing to reload. And, and certainly the, the first player that comes to mind is – Kayla Kowalik, she's she's outstanding. I mean, it, she's a rare athlete. She's somebody who has power. She has speed. You don't typically see people who are slappers who can also hit home runs and who are catchers. She's just an outstanding player. You know, Mallory Payton was somebody who had a good year last year and seems to be even better in this off season. So we're gonna, you know, obviously look to those two to be strong bats in the lineup. And then shockingly, we have a, our lone returner is Autumn Humes and she's not only done a good job in the circle, but she's really become quite an outstanding hitter. And so she's somebody that, you know, should provide us with some pop in the middle of the order. Coach, I love hearing about the improvements because I, I think that that's kind of a staple of your program, right? And I look at Abby Cheek. She raised her batting average from 18 to 19 by .111. Martins was almost by, by 200 from 19 to 20. So who do you think is going to be that player that takes that next step and kind of goes from being you know a 300 hitter to being a 390, 400 type player at the plate? Mm, you know, that's a great question. I mean, if I had to point to somebody, I would say Mallory Payton. She's somebody who seems to do well. I, we have another that's she's kind of a dark horse. Um, her name is Renee Abernathy. She's done some outstanding stuff this fall, and she's she's done a great job in terms of RBIs and and just overall power. And then we have this freshman who her name is Erin Koffel, who is just an unbelievable hitter. She's somebody who who brings a maturity and a power to her that you don't typically see in freshmen. And even though that, you know, I don't like to put a ton of pressure on freshmen, she seems to be somebody who can really handle herself. So, you know, we're expecting her to do big things as well. Last season in the circle, you had uh, seven different pitchers that pitched at least uh, 10 innings. So that's a, that's depth that we don't really see very much anywhere, uh, especially in the SEC. How do you go about uh, just handling those arms here as we move forward in 2021? Well, we have, that's the one thing that we have going. We have, you know, all of our pitchers are returning and that is a great thing despite all the big runs we gave up. Um, (laughs) It's experience. It's experience one way or the other. 
<laughs> but anyway, um, they they had great off seasons. And and the other thing is, you're seeing Miranda Stoddard, who was a freshman last year, who didn't get a lot of time, and um, Sloan also Sloan Gann, who also was a freshman last season. Those two have really stepped up their game and is, have been outstanding in scrimmages. And then Megan Shorman is has taken her game to the next level as well. So. We expect not only to have a lot of depth in the circle, but we have a lot of outstanding depth, and they really complement each other well. So we're, we're going to have to lean on our pitching and our defense to be a strength this season just to give us enough time for our hitters to, to kind of mature and, and to learn how to compete against the outstanding pitchers that we'll have to face. You know, Coach, I want to focus on the one-two punch up there in the circle, and that's Autumn Humes and Grace Ballman. And I, I think what's so interesting about them is we have seen them shut down teams. They came to Tuscaloosa. Y'all won that series in 2019. They were fantastic all weekend. We saw Autumn Humes come on in relief in the SEC tournament, shut down a really good Alabama offense that year. But then you talked about some of the pitching issues earlier in the interview. There are just some games where they don't seem to have it. So how did they go from where they are now to becoming kind of that consistent uh, shutdown ace that they certainly can be and that they've shown flashes of in the past? Well, I think they, you know, Humes is somebody who's always had great command of the zone. But she wasn't, you know, she wasn't doing a great job keeping people on their toes or being off balance. And she's done an, a great job of working on her off speed and, and just her rise ball and things like that. Because she's always been an outstanding drop ball pitcher. So, you know, hopefully she won't be as predictable as she was when, you know, she was. She could put her drop anywhere she wanted to. But still, if you if you're coming with the same pitches all the time, you know, great SEC hitters are going to jump all over you. And and then Grace Ballman is. You know, like you said, she's always been somebody that's hit or miss. And the reason for that is because of command. And, and she's been really able to figure out how she can command her spin pitches so she can attack the zone and get those swings and misses with great late break. And in the past, she wasn't really able to control her her uh, spin in a way that she could. She was always falling behind in the count. And so now she's really done an outstanding job in the off season really trying to figure out how she can stay in that zone, get ahead in the count, and then she's able to just attack and get those key strikeouts that we're going to need. Coach, earlier you mentioned some of the freshmen uh, that you'll be uh, looking for. Uh, is there Who else has really been jumping out at you in fall practice, freshmen, and, and maybe some of the newcomers or somebody that we haven't seen already uh, really contribute for you here on, in uh, 2021? You know, well, Lauren Johnson's somebody who's definitely started for us in the past, but she seems to have brought her game to the next level. Um, she's made the move to second base, which is nice. You know, she's a natural shortstop. Had, you know, she played there a little bit last year, um, had played in the outfield prior to that. And, and for whatever reason, second base seems really natural to her. Um, and she, so she's filling big shoes with Alex Martins, but she's, she's done a great job. Um, Emmy Blaine is an outstanding defensive player. Uh, which is kind of the cornerstone of our program. So we've we've been really excited about the progress that she made since last year. You know, she's just a sophomore. And Miranda Stoddard has been somebody who was just great. So when she's not on the mound, she's been playing a great third base and she's driving in runs, has a ton of power, um, just just doing those sorts of things. So, you know, we you know, our infield it's it's completely new. It's it's really young, but they seem to be maturing and, and doing much better than I anticipated they would at this time. And then our outfield is is very solid. It's strong. You know, when Kowalik's not behind the dish, um, you know, she's a great center fielder. We we have other outstanding center fielders in terms of Abernathy and, and um, you know, Babs and stuff. So we have this, like, hidden junior class that nobody has really seen because, 
you know, they were playing behind the likes of Bailey Vick and, um, you know, the Abby Cheeks of the world and stuff. So now they've really had their opportunity to shine. And, and there's somebody who've had great work ethic their entire time. So they've been great and they're, you know, they're ready to go. And, and, uh, you know, one of them is Tatum Spangler, who's also a left-handed pitcher, and she's a lot better this year than she was last year in terms of, you know, when she's on center field, she's commanding the, you know, commanding the plate, and she's done a great job hitting, and then also she can she can go on the mound when we need a lefty to shut people down. So I know that sounds like a lot of people, but I think this year we're going to have to have a collective effort if we're going to, you know, make it through this tough SEC schedule. And you mentioned uh, there, you have several players that both pitch and and hit and play in the field as well. Um, is is that something that you look for when you're recruiting uh, to bring players in? You want them to be able to play a lot of different areas. Well, quite a few of them. You know, obviously, you're always looking for that shutdown pitcher. So it's not a requirement that she plays another position, but certainly with with as many pitchers as teams are you know, holding now, it really helps them out if they can play another position. And oftentimes pitchers have the best attitude in terms of they understand approach, they understand mindset, they know what it takes to get into the box and into really zero in because they've done it on the other side. So, you know, we've been lucky. A lot of our best players and best hitters have also been pitchers. And and so it is something that we target, but it's not something that is a must when it comes to having a shutdown pitcher. And coach, when you've got so many players that you can move around and have pitch and then play in the infield or play in the outfield, I mean, you've got so many places all these players can go. Did you have to get a little bit more creative with fall practice, knowing that there wouldn't be those fall ball scrimmages that you would have? Did you do anything with the team to kind of see where everybody uh, should go in, in the field and in the lineup? Well, we were really lucky because everybody's so versatile. We could have like we could scrimmage all the time and, you know, we never had to worry about having a spot open because we could fill in multiple people at different spots. So really what we got to do was create offensive lineups to go against different, different pitchers, which was Mm -hmm. great. And so, you know, our hitters got to have a lot of looks and, and they got to really work on their timing and, and, you know, pitch selection and adjustments and and all those things that you're going to need for SEC play. So I felt like it was a real advantage to us that we had so much versatility because we were able to put together quality offensive scrimmages. Talking with Kentucky head coach Rachel Lawson as we continue with softball media days. And coach, one thing we've been asking all the coaches is uh, coming off of what happened in the Major League Baseball World Series this year. um, One of the main storylines coming out of that was use of analytics, especially Tampa Bay used it uh, to to the e- extreme amount, uh, got him to the World Series, but then uh, it backfired on him in Game Six. I uh, just wanted to ask you, what, how do you use analytics in your preparation, uh, coaching, and in your managing style of games? Well, I am a big analytics person to start with, like meaning that's that's kind of the baseline of everything that I do. Is is you know what gets measured gets managed, so in order to understand just where I'm starting from, it, it's important to have all the numbers. Um, so we, tr- we really try to do a good job using, you know, our, you know, dugout charts and things like that to more in terms of approach and stuff. So maybe not as much analytics in terms of the traditional style of things, but just to make sure that everybody's trending the right way in terms of just their approach to the game, you know, if they're doing stuff. And then from there, I would say I kind of venture off a little bit. I, 
I am known to go with my gut sometimes in terms of substitutions. Mm -hmm. And I do have the freedom to do that because I have so many pitchers that play other positions and I hit. Mm -hmm. So, you know, certainly you want to, you know, go with that lefty, lefty matchup when you get the opportunity. But sometimes, you know, you can tell if the other team's, you know, queuing in on your pitcher or something like that. So you're able to make some really creative decisions and without changing the lineup because of softball substitution rules. So I guess the long answer is I love analytics. I think they're great, and I certainly use them all in the off season. But I don't think analytics should be a substitution for, you know, just you know paying attention to what the game needs and, and what's going on in the moment. You know, analytics are great for the long haul. They're not yes necessarily great for in the moment decisions. Yeah, and I think it's also important, like you mentioned, and like so many other coaches have, to just trust your gut. I mean, you are the Kentucky head coach, and you've been there for a long time, and you've been successful for a long time. You've got to trust your stuff and trust that you know what you're doing when it comes to some of these decisions. I think so, and I think every coach has to trust their personnel. I mean, everyone's different. So, you know, there might be somebody who looks great on paper, but, you know, maybe they're not great in this one particular, you know, situation or in this great environment or you know, how many times do you see when, let's say there's a kid from the state of Alabama playing on a team in, you know, I don't even know, a team in Tennessee, and they're the one who gets the hit on, you know, at right. the homecoming game or something like that. So there's there's always those random, you know, I remember the first time that Kentucky went to the postseason, it was a Ohio athlete who got the hit off of Michigan, whose siblings were all Ohio State athletes. And, you know, so right. there's yeah, always perfect. Like, you know, there's always those random scenarios that you have to you have to be willing to go to if if you feel that they're the right decision in the moment. And, and I think all great coaches have that. I certainly can say that all F, all the FCC co- coaches that I've faced definitely have those kind of gut instincts and make a lot of decisions outside of the box. You know, frequently. Yeah, like I said, it's knowing the personnel because uh, we've al- we've always looked at it when uh, at Alabama when players have their senior day. Uh, they're either going to be four for four, and with three home runs, they're going to be zero for four with four strikeouts. You know, th- there's there's usually not a a big. You know, there's no middle of the road on your senior day, and it just depends on on how the individual you know perceives things. Oh, you're you know you're absolutely dead on. You know, I can't stand senior day from that reason because it, I love <laughs> I love honoring my seniors, but it is such a wild card. Um, with that said, like I like. You know, I had a pitcher one time who threw a no-hitter on senior day, and it was the, the game that took us to the postseason. But you're right. I've had another one that was like, wow, I, I hope this isn't the last game she plays on the field because, <laughs> you know, her worst moment ever. Right. So, yeah. you know, I, I, but that's what makes softball great. You have so many opportunities to do awesome stuff. Well, speaking of making softball great, Coach, the final question we want to ask you before we let you go is another question we've asked everybody, and that is if you woke up tomorrow – and you were the newly appointed czar of college softball by the NCAA, by the SEC, by whoever, what is one thing that you would change? And it could be scheduling, it could be rules, it could be anything at all that has to do with college softball. What would that be? Oh, that is a heck of a question. Um, You know, I think because I've been in COVID land, I haven't had much of an opinion about all that stuff. Um, You know, I love... I love the postseason. I guess, you know, this would not be a popular decision with my softball cohorts in the SEC, but um, I would like, I probably would like to try to figure out to get a little bit more representation in the postseason 
throughout the entire country because I think the sport is such an awesome sport. And there's quite a few states that, you know, they just, you know, they just really don't have a shot at the postseason. So I don't really know how to fix it, but I would love to see TVs in Boston and New York and, you know, all of those great cities that we're missing out on. They just don't really have a team to follow because they're not in the postseason. So if we could really figure that out, we could truly become one of the most popular sports in the country. And that's one thing uh, when you're looking at your team in it's a little different from the rest of the conferences. You are in a, an area that is more geographically, it, it's a kind of a colder area. Um, so I, I think success that, that you've had and that anybody is able to have uh, in, a, in, a, in a stick and ball sport in Kentucky, I think is really impressive. Um, what, what is it that you have to do when you might not have the elements that are all that, that are working for you that, you know, somebody say in Florida does? You just have to be so good with your, well, you have to have a couple of things. One, you have to be so good with your time and how you schedule players. And I know that sounds funny, but you, you don't, you can't have any wasted opportunities because right. there could be a season where, you know, you might only get a couple of minutes outside. You know, I we've had seasons where we open up and haven't had an outside practice before we've started our first game. Mm. And so you have to be so ready for those moments and, and flexible and adaptive and, and just on your A game all the time. And the other thing you need is you need an athletic department who supports you. Uh, and, and you have to have the facilities to be able to have the indoor batting cages and, and the ability to pitch inside and, and some other things like that. And, and so I definitely can't take all the credit for it by any stretch of the imagination. You know, Kentucky is so well supported by our fan base and, and by our AD and our university. So we have outstanding facilities and that gives me the opportunity to prepare my team. Whereas in a lot of cold weather schools, they just you know, they're sharing so many other facilities. They don't really have the opportunity to, to get their team ready for the preseason games, which, again, puts them behind for the postseason. And, and so I think, I think there's a lot of things going on. Um, I also think, and, and I'm going to put a plug out for my SEC coaches and the athletes in the SEC, I think because we see great players all the time, we know what the sport looks like. So it keeps us hungry and practicing all the time. So because we're playing the best people all the time, that really helps us um, know what to do and, and continue to grow. And, and I think if we weren't in such an outstanding conference, I don't think you would see the runs in the postseason like we've had. I know that's one, one thing. Whenever somebody asks me where are some of the best facilities or anything that you've been to in the conference, I always bring up Kentucky as one of the first two or three that I say because, you know, your, your facility – you know, the, the practice facility that you guys have, you know, even, you know, looking over at the soccer facility back behind you there, uh, you guys, it, it really is top notch. And that is uh, it, everything becomes an arm rate, arms race at some point, And Kentucky definitely gives you that opportunity. Oh, with it, without a doubt. You know, we have an outstanding fan base in RAD. You know, he's been around a while. I probably shouldn't you know, but he he truly does support all of us at a at a such a high level and gives us a chance to win. And and really, out of an AD, that's all you can hope for. You know, and you know, just a great guy. And you know, we're we're really lucky to have him as our AD. Well, Coach, basic math says that we will see you in Lexington hopefully at some point in 2021. And I'm really excited to see the Wildcats that you've previewed tonight. This has been a real blast, Coach. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks.
And there you have it. That is Kentucky head coach, Rachel Lawson. As I said, Tom, one of my favorites, I think she gives a really compelling case for why her program is going to be good in 2021. I'm going to keep ascending at the SEC standings. I'm excited to watch the Wildcats. I'm curious about the Wildcats because you, it's not very many teams about which you can say that they lost their two best offensive threats and you still feel like they're going to be good the next season. Right. Yeah. But I still am very uh, confident and ready for it to be April and we really not know what Kentucky is. Uh, but I, I think they're going to be good and, and they're going to be they're going to be a contender. That's for sure. Mm hmm. What do you feel about Texas A&M, Tom? Do, do you think that the Aggies are ready to not be a bottom two or three team in the conference? I don't know. Uh, they're, they're another one. They're a little bit still up in the air. They certainly have, they have talent. They have the, you know, I think they have the ability to, but nobody in the conference is getting worse. So that I think that that's part of the issue is when you get yourself behind the eight ball, it's hard to get out of it in the SEC because, as I said, no one's getting worse. So right. uh, I, I think they have the talent to be able to do it. Uh, we'll just see if they can they can make that jump. Well, let's uh, let's take a break. We're going to step aside and hear a word from our sponsor, and then when we come back, we'll talk more about the Aggies and hear from their head coach, Joe Evans. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And we're back. That's quite an ad, by the way. Isn't I'm, I'm it? A very, I'm, I'm a big fan. We do what we can <laughs> for the people, but also at times for ourselves. And that well, ad is necessary. <laughs> 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 All right. Texas A&M. Gig em. Fight farmers mm -hmm. fight. Uh, saw varsity's horns off. All that jazz. During your 12-minute long fight song. <laughs> yes. Gigi and Papa, if you heard that, Tom is not making fun of Texas A&M. We love the Aggies. As, a, as an Aggie by blood, I know that if I say anything too harsh about Texas A&M, I might no. not get Christmas yeah. presents. But you don't, you don't need that. Right. But <laughs> Joe Evans, and, and as I said in the last segment, this is an interview I did alone. You've heard it. She was really excited about her team. I think gave some really thoughtful answers about the sport of softball. It was interesting mm -hmm. to hear, as all of you folks will hear in a minute, that Mackenzie Herzog was injured. As we kind of suspected, she didn't pitch a lot as the season in 2020 wound down. She seems ready to go in 2021. They've added a Mountain West Pitcher of the Year and Kelsey Brodus. I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued. Mm -hmm. And I think Joe Evans has a team that I'm not sure will be good in 2021, but they're so young and they're really talented and really raw that she might be primed along with one of the best assistant coaches in Craig Snyder to make a run in two or three years. Yeah, I think that that's a fair assessment. The problem is you've built a $30 million facility. You have the best facilities in the conference. You have all this kind of stuff. Will, will there, will there be patience to allow those, those people to develop? We'll see. But I mean, she, she certainly has plenty of equity. You would think uh, considering, you know, she's, she's, she's a hall of famer, you know, she's, she's had great success at Texas A&M. She's been there for a long time. 
so I, I would think she has earned the benefit of the doubt as far as that goes. And hopefully they will be able to continue to show that improvement, even if it's not necessarily in the win column, uh, in, in the play, play in just in the general gameplay column. I kind of spoke for you in the interview when I asked Joe Evans this question, but I said that it was more of a statement, really. I said that after this year, Tom and I would be okay with the SEC softball tournament just being at Davis Diamond every year. Is that 100%. accurate? Do you, yeah. Yes, absolutely. And if Good, if Good Bull Barbecue would like to cater those, that would be fine too. Yes, Good Bull Barbecue is featured in this interview. Listeners, we talk about food. Finally, this was a mistake on my part and credit Nathan Sheehan as we were halfway through interviews. He said, why have you not asked about restaurants? And we do that for most of the interviews you hear going forward. Good. And, and I think we all in, in like in unison slapped ourselves in the head. Like, why have we not been asking for people to contribute to Tom's Hungry during this entire time? We've asked about analytics and being the right. czar as if those are, are you know, important. No, right. what's important. We've talked about softball. Jeez. Where are you eating on the road? Right. <laughs> That's the most important thing. Oh, we, need, we need the recommendations from the locals. Yes. Yeah, literally, we're just asking it for research at this point. <laughs> That's, That's all it is. I don't know if anyone's <laughs> listening to that part. Don't really care. I'm just mar marking it down. Got a whole steno pad ready to go <laughs> with all these restaurants listed. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, all right, Tom. Joe Evans, you ready to go? That's us it. All right. Texas A&M head coach Joe Evans joining us for Softball Media Day. Let's give a rousing gigum to the head coach of the Texas A&M Aggies, Joe Evans, joining us here on Softball Media Days, entering her 25th season in College Station, the Hall of Famer who led Texas A&M to a 17-9 record in the shortened 2020 season. Coach Evans, welcome to the program. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Appreciate of, it. Of course, Coach. And I want to talk about that 2020 season because it was fascinating for your team. You had the incredible comeback victory over Arizona. You could argue had Oklahoma on the ropes, probably should have won that game uh, in that early tournament going on. You had the crazy series against Kentucky, another series that you could say you outplayed the Wildcats, even though you lost two out of three. So as everything was kind of going up and down, you had all these crazy results. What do you feel like you learned from your squad, even in a shortened season? I thought we were really resilient. You know, you look at winning that Arizona game. It was a phenomenal game we played. Uh, really proud of our kids. And Mackenzie Herzog coming in on the mound and, and winning that game, saving it at the end. And, and actually, she got injured after that game. So you look at what we did at Kentucky and the games after um, the Arizona game were all without that established ace that we had. So I was really proud of our pitching staff being as, as resilient as they were. It's challenging. And then our ball club, we're really young. You know, we were really young last year. We're still young. And the fact that we went out there and, and didn't play afraid, just got after it. You know, we took some lumps. We, we lost some games. We definitely didn't feel like uh, going into it that we would lose. But, um, you know, that's kind of what you get sometimes with a young team. But I was just so excited about how we progressed and got better and better and better. And you're right, that Kentucky series, we felt like we were in every game. We, we could have swept that series. I mean, that's how close that series went. 
And so with a young team and a team that seemed to be going kind of on an upward trajectory as 2020 went on, how did everybody react when the season was shut down? Like everybody else, really disappointed, um, kind of shaking heads going, what the heck's going on? You know, I mean, it just obviously never happened before and hopefully knock on wood never happens again. But um, yeah, it, it was tough on our kids, you know, always tough on the seniors. Like this is it, you know, this is how my career is going to end. And, and, and really disappointing for the youngsters because they made such a quick impact and made a difference in our ball club and had some youngsters in our lineup. So, um, you know, for them, it was, it's that, that's all that development, you know, that they could have gotten that they don't have and kind of starting back at, at square one a little bit. Coach, you already mentioned one of the Florida State additions that you had coming into 2020. I want to talk about the one in the coaching staff, and that's Craig Snyder, one of the best softball minds in the entire country. You add him uh, to the coaching room. What all has he brought to the program in College Station, and how has he been as kind of somebody who's experienced a lot in college softball for you to rely on during this really uncertain offseason? Yeah, he's been a phenomenal addition. Just really excited about that higher uh, I've known Craig for a while and he came highly recommended. He used to work at Stephen F. Austin for Gay McNutt, who is actually an Aggie and um, was an All-American here and is in our Hall of Fame. And so uh, when Gay McNutt says, hey, you need to hire this guy, I'm like, all right, that's a great, that's a great recommendation. And um, he, he's, uh, he and I, I think we just, really mesh. Um, our personalities go well together. Um, I've, I've grown into f- feeling like he's a, a good friend of mine and also a great uh, person to have on our staff. He's loyal. He works hard. He knows what he's doing. You're right. He's got a really good mind for the game. Um, he brings a lot to the table. He brings a lot of good insight and input and he meets players where they are. You know, he's not someone who's going to say, be really rigid and this is how we do things and this is how you swing and everybody's going to do that. He, he doesn't do that at all, actually. And I think that's why the players enjoy working with him. Mm-hmm. And then the other Noel was Mackenzie Herzog, and you talked about her both as a pitcher and a hitter, kind of dealt with an injury as the uh, as the season ran down in 2020 in terms of pitching, but her hitting was still incredible when the season concluded. What has she done in this offseason to improve in both of those areas, and how is the rehab going uh, in the circle? Yeah, she, I mean, she was such a great addition for us, and I don't, I don't know if a lot of people know, they might think, oh, uh, Coach Snyder came on board and, and so Herzog came. That's not how that went down at all. She, her family are Aggies, her mom and dad, both Aggies, her older sisters and Aggies got her Aggie ring. And um, so they, it's in her blood and she committed Florida State really early and uh, was a really great athlete and a great get for them. I thought they did a great job um, getting her to go to Florida State and uh, fortunately for us, Texans like Texas, and uh, it's hard to get them to leave. And sometimes when they leave, they they, they want to come back. So we were really fortunate, really lucky to have McKenzie want to come to A&M and, and kind of align with that Aggie tradition. Um, she, she, no doubt in my mind, would have been an All-American last year. Her numbers, pitching numbers were great, but her hitting numbers, phenomenal. I mean, that's a kid who... 
had the injury and couldn't pitch for us after, you know, the, the Arizona game, but still really worked hard to be in our lineup was our leadoff hitter. I mean, anytime you get one, a kid, a leadoff hitter in the start of the game to jack one out, I mean, that's who she is. She can hit for power. She hits doubles, uh, was one of the leaders in the country in doubles. And, and I really think that she would have been an All-American with those kind of numbers. So what has she done to, to kind of get better and get herself ready to go? I just think she's, um, she's a natural. She's, she's someone you don't have to really reinvent the wheel on her. And for us, we just need to keep her healthy. That's going to be the biggest thing is just have her body in great shape and, and keep her healthy because she has all the tools to be great. Mm -hmm. I like what you said about her just kind of having that Aggie blood. I get that. My mom went to A&M, my whole mom's side. They're all Aggies. My grandfather considers me a disappointment for not going over there for college. Uh, And and I think there really is something to that, not just schools in Texas, because you hear about how the the Texas mindset wanting to stay there. But A&M is such a place where tradition is so important, but it never really leaves you even when you leave. So I think you hit it right on the head. Of course, she would want to come back if she were looking to leave uh, Florida State. Yeah, we, we were very fortunate. I don't know that she would have left there to go anywhere else. And, uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it, I, I can imagine her not being an Aggie. You know, you've got her parents and her sister Morgan, they're just diehard Aggies. So uh, really cool that she gets to experience that same thing. Mm-hmm. Well, you've got another addition in the circle coming up in 2021, and that is a big one in Kelsey Broadus, the Boise State transfer uh, coming in. What does she add to the team? Because you lose Kendall Potts, but now you've got a player who was one of the best pitchers in the Mountain West coming to your program. Yeah, we're really excited about Kelsey. Um, just having a lefty on staff. You know, last year we had Peyton McBride. We had Peyton for those four years, and then to, to lose her and now to be able to bring in a lefty is, is really important for us. I think always having that look and she's just, you know, mature. She goes about her business, does her work. She's in grad school right now. Just, it's nice to have, you know, a, a veteran on the staff and she, she works hard. She gets after it. She works hard. I think she's going to be a big piece to that uh, pitching staff, that puzzle. And just a different look, you know, you start talking about Herzog and, and Brodus and all those other kids on that staff, you know, that's a pretty salty staff and a lot of different looks. Mm -hmm. Coach Joe Evans joining us here for softball media days coach. One of the fun things I did this summer was working at the FGCL and we got to get a really good look at one of your catchers, Haley Lee. She got defensive player of the year in the league. One of the most fun personalities I've ever seen in a dugout. I'm sure that translates to Texas A&M. How has this summer, and this is just me asking because I got to watch her really improve as the summer season went on, but how has getting that extra work in the FGCL this summer maybe helped her in all areas of the game, not just fundamentals, but also leadership in terms of getting ready for 2021? Yeah, I was so excited for Haley. She had a phenomenal summer and you could see her confidence just get bigger and bigger and you know she's a big presence anyway she's such a great softball player what I love about her is she loves to play the game that passion that you saw that you're around is just contagious and infectious and you can see our I'll laugh at our freshman shortstop Ryland Wiggins who you know Haley comes out with some like 
wolf call, you know, I mean, she'll start howling over there. It's just craziness. And, and our shortstop just over there laughing. Like it's just, she brings a, a lightheartedness to it, but also really determined. She, again, last year was having a great season and um, she's got a great arm, great presence behind the plate, big personality, and the pitchers love to throw to her. Uh, she can play first base when we need to give her a little break behind the plate. And offensively, just a powerful hitter. She can go yard at any time. Really, she's just a fun kid to have on our team. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned the arm because that was one of the things in the FGCL. The coaches said, look, we're going to try and steal as many bases as we can, except when Haley Lee is catching. And to have a weapon like that in the SEC with so many speed threats, what a what a huge advantage for your defense. Yeah, the, you know, the key is that the catcher throws out base stealers early enough that teams just stop attempting. You know, that's, that's where it starts, just – Get ahead of it, and and teams don't even want to try to run. Mm. All right, so you've got a bigger roster this year. Everybody does. You've got some incoming uh, transfers, as we've already talked about, and, of course, some freshmen coming in. So who are the new faces that we should be looking out for for the Aggies this year? Yeah, we've got seven freshmen. Uh, Ryland Wiggins, who I mentioned, a tremendous shortstop, just a, such a quick release and range. Love the way she plays shortstop. Excited about her. Um, Trinity Cannon is another one. Uh, she plays third base and first base. Really explosive, very powerful. Big kid, fast twitch kid. Um, love the way she plays, and I and also a big personality too. Like she's vocal on the field. Sometimes you get freshmen; they're a little timid, and she's not. She she gets after it. Um, let's see who else we have. Mariana Torres is another one. She is a middle infielder. She played short for us in second this fall. Love her leadership, love her personality. Grace Uribe from Huntington Beach, California, played for the firecrackers out there, TJ's team. She's, she's feisty. She's got a great presence on the mound. She plays outfield. She pitches, she hits hits lefty, throws right. Um, just I love the way she competes, really fierce. And I think she's gonna be someone who can really help us out. Bree Warren is another one of our freshmen from Bryan College Station area. Athlete, both parents athletes, her dad Ty played football at A&M. Her mom was a basketball player in college. Um, hits left, throw a great arm. Uh, covers a lot of ground in the outfield. Macy Allen is a kid that's a catcher for us, can play outfield, right-handed hitter. Jeez, um, who else do we have? Um, we've got a red shirt, uh, Alexis Tippett, who won't be playing this year. But I'm really excited about the freshman class. I love what they bring to the table. Um, I love that they care about each other. They have fun playing the game. And they just bring this enthusiasm to our team. Again, we're really young, but, but they're athletic and they get after it. 
Mm-hmm. Coach, I have to talk to you about Davis Diamond. Tom and I love it. It's our favorite press box to call games. And when we go on the road and we got to do it twice in 2019. But I think what impresses me most about Texas A&M is the emphasis on facilities in general. Kyle Field, since the renovation, one of the best football stadiums in the country, if not the best. Uh, Reed Arena, still one of the top basketball places. So how has the athletic department's emphasis on building facilities helped you with recruiting, but also just helped the Texas A&M Athletic Department as a whole grow? Yeah, it's huge. I mean, the vision that our athletic directors have had, and we've had a bunch of ADs in the last, you know, few years, but, um, you know, started with Bill Byrne coming in and, and really having a vision, and then Eric Hyman coming in, Eric Hyman is the one who came from South Carolina. South Carolina had just built a nice softball stadium, comes here and sees the need. And then um, Scott Woodard, Woodward, who, you know, came after Eric Hyman and, and said, yeah, let's, let's execute this plan. You know, Eric Hyman had a plan in place. Uh, Scott Woodward, you know, let's execute it. And, um, and now we have, uh, Ross Bjork, who's like, all right, let's run with the, this. And so I think really good vision with our administration, but um, the stadium itself, to be able to be behind the scenes, to have been in every single meeting, every design uh, concept and idea, and, and to have an administration who says, okay, what do you want? What do you think you need? What's your vision for this? And then to put it in play and, and to stick with it. I mean, it was so expensive and they could have easily said, forget about it. You know, this is way, way too much. And they didn't, they, they looked at what I love is they come up with this idea of who are we as an athletics department um, and who, who do we say we are and do our fil- facilities reflect who we actually say we are? And, and our people stepped up, our donors stepped up, 12th Man Foundation stepped up. And you look at um, Bluebell Park, you look at Olsen Field, our baseball stadium, phenomenal. I mean, it's one of the best in the country. And there we were across the street in our old stadium and it was kind of a little bit embarrassing, you know, we're just so far behind. And so when we, we're able to, to fundraise the money and have people step up to fund this. They said, let's get this thing right. And it looks like a minor league, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> minor league baseball park. It's exactly what you want in a ballpark. It's comfortable. The seating is, it's all 2000 chairback seats, the press box. I mean, you name it, everything we did, paid attention to detail and made sure we got it right. And I've been excited that, you know, people have asked me, okay, now it's all done. What would you have done differently? What didn't you get right? Honestly, I wouldn't do anything differently. You know, there are some things we had to do where we couldn't lay a concrete slab. We had to do a different um, surface underneath the turf and the cages. Yeah, I would have done that differently. But the footprint of it, we didn't have to change anything. And that was really cool. So, I, I mean, I, I can't talk enough about Davis Diamond. And, and when you ask about recruiting, unbelievable what it's done. 
you know, we've been able to host some travel ball tournaments here uh, on our field. And those kids that come in, they're blown away by it. And, and it, it, it makes an impact, it makes an impression. And at least then says to a, a recruit, hey, these people care about the program. They care about softball. They're committed to it. They're making an investment. That let me then at least take a look at the program as a whole and, and see if it's something I want to be a part of. Well, it truly is incredible. And Tom and I are very vocal about after this season when we're at Rhodes for the SEC tournament. If we want to do it in College Station every year after that, we're totally fine. <laughs> we enjoy our time at Davis Diamond for sure. Oh, it, it's fun. I, I love that you love it. I mean, it makes me so happy every day when I'm in my office and I look out at that stadium, I, I just, it never gets old. You know, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm very grateful for it. So, uh, Texas A&M head coach Joe Evans joining us here for Softball Media Days. Coach, these are the three questions we've asked all the coaches. I'd love to hear the various answers that we've gotten. The first deals with analytics. Uh, analytics played a really big part in the World Series in baseball this year. The Rays used it to get to the World Series. It was a great story. And then maybe they read the sheet of paper too much, and that ended up costing them the World Series against the Dodgers. How much do you use analytics in your game prep, in your studying of other teams, and also in-game as you try and make some of these decisions? You know, we use it. I, I think there's. I think it's important to have a little bit of a balance, though, you know, I think with baseball, they're so fortunate that they have so much data. They have so many numbers on hitters and pitchers that they can run these shifts, these crazy shifts, and, and it's fairly predictable. I think in our sport, we don't have the luxury of that much data, but we certainly use it. We, we use all the charts. We use... Um, all the Rapsodo, we use, you know, whatever we can. Uh, film, certainly, Exos, we're breaking down film all the time. I think that's been really huge help. And it just gets more and more sophisticated and you can take more and more from it. But um, yeah, our, our hitting coach watch a ton of film. Our pitching coach watches a ton of film. I watch film on teams to try to glean anything I can uh, to give us a defensive advantage, but for pitching and hitting, it's phenomenal what, what we're able to do now. All right, coach, let's say that in honor of you going into year 25 at Texas A&M, you get elected czar of college softball. You're in charge. You're running the show. What is one change that you would make to the sport? It could be anything from how scheduling would work to rules to postseason eligibility, stuff like that. Anything you want, what would be one change? I, that's, that's a tough question because I, I love our game. I mean, why, why do you want to change something that's <laughs> really not broken? Uh, I, I love the enthusiasm. I love the commitment that people are making to the programs and to women's athletics in general. Um, I, what I'm worried about, if, if I could change anything actually before it actually happened, is going to be this season, not playing a bunch of double headers, you know, back to back and, and playing four game series. I'm really opposed to that. I want to make sure we keep the integrity of our games. And um, so, so it hasn't happened yet, but I'm concerned that it can happen because of COVID. So 
that's a that's something right now I want to change before it ever happens. Coach, as we record this, nothing with scheduling has come out. It probably won't by the time this is released. It probably won't until two weeks before the season, if we look at how other sports have gone on. Are you worried that conferences' hands are being forced a little bit by the cancellation of tournaments like the uh, the SPC Elite Invitational or Mary Nutter, or I guess Judy Garman is probably coming soon? Are you concerned that these leagues are going to be forced to play conference only just because there aren't other options? I am concerned that conferences are going to jump the gun and make those that decision to only play conference play when I do think there will be other opportunities to play non-conference games. I've, I've seen it so far where we had our whole schedule set, all the teams set to come down, and then early in the fall, uh, you know, some of the schools are like, wait a minute, we're not flying. We're not coming down. We're not doing, you know, we can't play. So then we had this uh, period of time where it was like, okay, wait a minute. We, we have to drop this tournament we're hosting because we're not going to have enough teams. What's happened is now you've dropped the Clearwater. Now you've dropped the Mary Nutter. Now teams are looking for a place to play. So now we again have teams that we can play in non-conference play. And what I don't want is for conferences just right now when it's so far away to say we're only playing conference when we do have these other opportunities. And I think it's really important for us to play out of conference. I think, you know, I want to be able to develop our young players. Uh, I want to be able to have them have a preseason, get their feet wet, kind of understand what it's all about, and then jump into conference play. Yeah, I think you're right. Patience is key in a year like 2020, because as we've learned through all these months, we really do not know what's going to happen tomorrow, let alone in three months. Um, Coach, the last thing I want to get to before we let you go, this is uh, this ties into a segment we regularly do on the podcast and actually is featured uh, restaurant and college station often. When you're in college station and when you're on the road, where are your favorite places to eat? Oh, college station. Hey, you, you may know this. there's a lot of really good restaurants in College Station. Oh, yeah. Like, it's not just your chain restaurants. So um, I well, if you if you want a, a steakhouse, a, just a great meal, you, the Republic, you can't beat it. It's really, really good. Um, if I just want like a quick, like I love Mexican food or tacos, I'm going to go to Mad Taco. Um, there's lots of good choices here, but I like Mad Taco. If I'm going to get pizza, I really like RX pizza. I think that's good. Um, there's a lot of really good restaurants. Uh, there, there's a ton of them. On the road, um, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty much a healthy eater. So it's on the road is a little tougher for me. I don't know my places that well. Yeah, I can say that we typically don't go for the healthy stuff when we travel, Tom and I anyway, so I admire you for that. I will say uh, we interviewed Amanda Scarborough, I think, two years ago and brought up our favorite restaurant in College Station, Good Bull Barbecue. She had not been. Have you been? Yes, I've been. I've been. Okay. Yeah, yeah it's, it's convenient. It's right by campus. Uh, I'm not a big meat eater, so you know I'm not the one to ask about barbecue, but our kids love it. They love it a lot. 
That's good to hear. That's good to hear. Well, Coach, thank you so much for joining us. This has been really great. We love to talk about the Aggies. Gig'em, and we'll see you in 2021. All right, Gig'em. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Coach. All right, Tom. That was Joe Evans. Cool gal. Cool coach. Yeah, I can see stuff. why Texas A&M has fallen in love with her so much uh, over her extended career in College Station. Absolutely. And that's one thing about the just all the coaches in the SEC is we have such a really good mix. We have a, we have some young coaches uh, and some more experienced coaches, Hall of Famers. Like I say you have a really good mix, uh, but they're all I, – I remember Coach Murphy said it a couple of years ago. He thought that every coach in the conference or every team in the conference has the best coach they've ever had right now. And I think that may still be the case. And, you know, and that's, and we're, we're seeing just the variety of coaches in this conference. Joe Evans brings a lot of that experience and uh, a lot of success. And, um, and she's looking to continue that in college station. I also thought it was so interesting to hear her talk about Craig Snyder because it, that was a really a good solid portion of the first half of the interview. And she talked about it being a partnership. And I think when we saw Craig Snyder get hired by Texas A&M, our first thought, and we said it on the podcast was, oh, they're hiring their next head coach to succeed Joe Evans. We thought it was possibly an administrative decision. The way she framed it, it might've been, but the way that Joe Evans framed it really sounds like they are two coaches on the same staff on a mission to turn Texas A&M around and make them back into a World Series contender. And, that, and that's really the, uh, that's what you have to have. That's the dynamics you have to have if you're going to uh, elevate a program. You, you can't have a program where there are two completely separate voices. The voices have to be, you know, two or three people that are saying the same thing and looking toward the same goal. And that's, that sounds like what you have at Texas A&M right now. All right, so the Aggies seem primed for a 2021 bounce back after a weird 2020 that saw them lose to not good teams at home and then come back and beat Arizona. <laughs> right, it was weird. Yeah, like that, that whole, the, when pretty much the Texas A&M season was kind of a microcosm of 2020 and, and kind of what, what was available. They're losing to UT Arlington. They're struggling with Lamar. And then right. beating an Arizona team that beat Alabama twice. I sure. I don't, I don't, uh, yeah. That's, I mean, that's 2020. 2020 was kind to the LSU Tigers. They mm. looked, I think they were going to win the conference. I do. I know we liked Florida. I think LSU was about to make a real move. We talked to Beth Tarina about that. And uh, we're going to talk more about the Tigers when we get back as we step aside for just a moment here on the Out of the Box podcast, Softball Media Days, episode three. Welcome back to Softball Media Days, episode three. Gray Robertson, Tom Canterbury, guiding you along. Tom, we are approaching team nine in Media Days. How does does that sound? Unbelievable that this is happening, but yes. Yeah, and we did get everybody. I'm just just telling you now, if you don't check Twitter, we got everybody. Everybody is is Mm -hmm. in the Media Days, and all head coaches, by the way, which is – insane and we're gonna celebrate that on episode four <laughs> let's uh let's talk lsu beth Torina. this is a team that was 21 and 3 they had not played a conference series but they had the best era in the league in 2020 they had the perfect game from mary beth gorsuch with 21 first pitch strikes that beth Torina will talk about 
I was super impressed. I didn't know what they would look like after losing the Sanchez's, but we said at the beginning of 2020, LSU's growth depends on two things. One, the development of one of the deepest pitching staffs in the conference that appeared to be there. And two, whether they could avoid the late season swoon unclear. We don't know. So we'll see, uh, we'll see if that pops up in 2021. And is that something that Coach Trina uh, talks about during this interview? Because this is another one. I've listened to it, but there's another one that you did it by yourself. Yes. She talks a lot about, certainly about the development of the pitchers. And I think that the, she knows that that is the key. LSU doesn't have a Montana Fouts star. They don't have a Kelly Barnhill. They don't have one of those pitchers that's going to be in the top 10 list in sec history or in the last decade but they've got four good ones and she knows that if those four can pitch at their best lsu can be a contender to win the conference and maybe maybe a national championship we forget that lsu's been to the world series a lot in the last decade oh yeah no that they are they are a national program for sure and and are they're on the on the list of teams that are capable of winning the national championship each and every year again it's if you can avoid that late season swoon and continue if the team that we see usually in february and march is a team that we see in may and june then that's going to be they're going to be a very a very good team and uh no you definitely don't forget alabama certainly doesn't forget that lsu makes the world series because there was a couple years in a row where lsu eliminated alabama from the, from the world series so that's right uh yeah i certainly i'm certainly well aware that the tigers are are going to oklahoma city that they are a program that is capable of it. It's just whether or not they can put it all together at the right time. And sometimes having a depth of four pitchers could, as long as they're all quality and they match up well with who they're taking on, that might be even better than having a, a, a one major star. Right. Yeah. You're all going to hear Beth Tarina say this in just a minute. She does. Cause I asked her talk about how having the four, she truly can go off matchups kind of sort of what Patrick Murphy was trying to do in 2020. He didn't really have a chance because Crystal Goodman wasn't pitching up to her ability. Montana Fouts was still kind of hampered with the injury. So we never got to see right. the, the situation where coach Murphy could just say, Hey, this is a team that struggles with, with the drop ball Lexi go. It was more like game one of a series likes to go. Yeah. So LSU who's, who's gets to do who's that. Who's healthy enough? Who's healthy enough to pitch today? Yes. Basically how it went. <laughs> it went. The other thing I like about this interview, before we get to it, we get confirmation. Something we have said for a long time. Tom, you have been the one that has pointed this out most often on the podcast. I asked her about the rising tide lifts all boats and what that LSU football national championship did to the athletic department in 2019. She gives a great oh, yeah. answer. So Tom, you're right as always. Like, well, you know, you know, I, I, I've got a little experience with it. So, <laughs> <laughs> the the tide has been rising in Tuscaloosa for a while, so I've seen it all the way around. But it's 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 obvious, and that and that's when you're good in the sport that brings in the most money. That's the way it is. That, you know, that's life. When the when the sport that brings in the most money is doing well, then everybody's gonna gonna uh, improve. And it's, it's going to be a positive for everyone. There, there should, that's, that's a problem that I have when some people talk about things being a football school or a basketball school or what type of school a, a, a university is. As long as you're good, it doesn't matter what school you are. And if you're good in one, and especially if it's that revenue producing one, you're going to be good in all of them. That's right. That's a good point. Lessons from Tom. 
here on episode three. <laughs> that's what I try to do. I try, I try to bring the knowledge and the wisdom. All right, so that's enough from us. Let's get to Betterina. It's time for LSU's portion of Softball Media Days. Their head coach, Beth Torina, one of my favorite interviews that we have in the entire show. Joining us now, here is Beth Torina. All right, we are literally calling Baton Rouge right now as we talk about the LSU Tigers continuing with Softball Media Days. And graciously joining us now, is the head coach of the Bayou Bengals down at LSU, Beth Torina. Coach, welcome in. How are you? I'm great. Thank you for having me. I appreciate the opportunity. Absolutely. It is always interesting to talk about the Tigers and what a 2020 your team had in the shortened season. You had some big wins over Oklahoma State. Uh, You had a a split with Louisiana, which is always a fierce and fun rivalry. You had one of the best pitching staffs in the conference and in the country. So what do you feel like you learned from your team in the shortened season? Man, it it was a fun one, you know, and and it's terrible that it had to end. It was really sad that it had to end, but it was a fun one. And we saw so much about our team. I think we had a lot of questions going into the year. Um, a lot of young players, questions about the pitching staff, and I think they answered so many of those for us. So it was fun to see a lot of people step up and um, a lot of different players um, have a have a hand in the success. And then, you know, obviously the, the sad lesson, and as we look back on the year, I think the overall lesson was that we learned not to take things for granted moving forward. I mean, you know, we're always telling our players there's no guarantees to that there's tomorrow, right? But there was literally no tomorrow. So I think, um, I think just having that no guarantee and, and the feeling that every day is important is something that we try to preach to them all the time, but, um, that was real. Yeah. How did the team respond when everything came out? Because when we talked with coach Murphy, he said the team found out about the world series being canceled on Twitter. Everybody, uh, all the coaches that we've chatted with have said, everybody kind of found out and reacted differently. How did your squad react when everything was, uh, winding down and getting canceled in 2020? Well, I had the, I guess it's a fortune, um, if you want to say that, but I had the, the privilege of getting to tell them myself. Um, my team was actually on the field practicing, um, and I saw it come across Twitter. Someone on the staff saw it come across Twitter. So I knew what they were up against um, as they were out there, but, you know, we let them finish the practice that day, and we kind of had a fun day drawn up. We knew the SEC, we'd already canceled a series and we knew there was, you know, obviously something imminent in our future. Right. Um, but so we had kind of a fun practice drawn up. They were playing a softball bingo game where they had to, you know, execute a bunt and knock off a square or whatever it was. And they were having the absolute best time. Um, it was so fun watching them and we just let them play softball. And in my heart, I wondered if that was the last time I was going to see some of them ever play softball, but um, luckily for us, it wasn't. So, you know, when that practice ended, I sat them down in the dugout and they were able to hear it from me, which um, was uh, one of the hardest things I've ever had to do as a coach, but I was glad I got to tell them myself. Well, I think you hit the nail on the head. Luckily you've got some people coming back. Some of the seniors who got that extra year, Aaliyah Andrews, Mary Beth Gorsuch, how excited are you to have them along with the other players coming back, having one more year in your program? Yeah, it is exciting to have them coming back. And, you know, there's some blessings within this. Those players weren't supposed to be 
um, you know, this group was never supposed to be combined together, right? So they were never supposed to be as one. Maribeth Gorsuch was never supposed to play with a Morgan Smith or some of the kids that we have. So this freshman class is now going to be influenced by these awesome women that we have in this program in a different way. Um, and it's a different combination we never envisioned. So there's a lot of fun and excitement within that. Okay, so I have to ask, the so Mary Beth Gorsuch performance against against Belmont, uh, the most incredible pitching performance you've ever seen. I mean, this was the perfect game with 21 first pitch strikes. It, it certainly, I, has it ever happened? I mean, that was, it was insane to watch. Thanks for bringing it up because yes. it was really cool um, and it was really awesome. And the 21 first pitch strikes thing is just unreal to me. You know, um, the obviously the perfect game and that kind of stuff that super rare and really an awesome feat within itself. But I'm with you. Like, where has the 21 first pitch strikes ever been? I want to know. Like, I want the history of this historical information. We need it to be found because it was really cool. It was uh, when you think about a sport where perfection is impossible, you know, it was just as close as you could get. And for someone I think I'm going to cry talking about it. Like for someone whose road has been so tough and just um, she's battled through so much, you know, in high school gets hit in the face and has a steel plate in her face and just so many demons and challenges and things she's been through um, from that, but from other stuff in her career and then played behind Carly and Allie and waited her turn. And just to see that moment come through, it was like, man, if anybody deserves this moment of perfection, it's this kid right here. Mm-hmm. LSU head coach Beth Torino joining us here on the out of the box softball media days and coach I'm going to read some numbers for you I know you know them but first in the SEC and team ERA at 0.95 Shelby Wickersham 0.4 ERA Allie Kilponen 0.58 ERA Mary Beth Gorsuch 1.15 Shelby Sinceri 1.20 what made your pitching staff so effective this year because I think we saw in 2019 when Alabama came to Baton Rouge just how deep your staff was and how good they could be. But this, this was next level. This was a huge jump as a whole staff in 2020. Yeah. The coolest thing too, is they put up those numbers and they all had similar innings pitched. You know, they all had um, right around the same number of innings, the same number of opportunities. So it wasn't like we were throwing somebody against, you know, somebody and somebody against someone else. Um, We were challenging them, all of them you know, playing against the best that we could find. So um, I think what they did was really special. I really would have liked to see how it turned out, but hey, spoiler alert, here comes 2021 where we're going to get to see what happens with this group. Um, You know, I I think a big reason for their success is each other. Um, I think they all are very different. And I think they celebrate each other in a way that is different than you would imagine a pitching staff being. I think you would picture there being a lot of competition and a lot of, um, you know, vying for who's going to be the best. I think they understand that each one makes the other one better. Um, and they truly celebrate each other and pull for one another. And it is a family in there. Um, you know, Mary Beth and, and Allie Kilponen just bring so much energy to that bullpen there. I call Allie Kilponen the hype man. She's just constantly cheering for the other pitchers and pulling for them and rooting for them. And, Um, That is just infectious. And I think it goes through the whole staff and all they want is to see each other succeed. And I have to assume coach that when you've got four pitchers like that, who are all effective and who can all go for as long as you need them to go in the circle, you truly can start people based off of matchups, right? Yeah. And that is uh, probably you're right. The biggest benefit to it is that 
Um, first thing you have to identify what you feel is the weakness of your opponent, right? Um, but then you can match up in so many different ways with them. And throughout a series, you can match them up on different days, um, different orders, but you can also put the ones that you think match up for that opponent the best. And um, the fact that we're confident in all of them and now add a Morgan Smith into the mix too, that we have a ton of confidence in, but the fact that we're confident in all of them equally um, is a place where I just haven't lived before. Um, it's something that's really special is it's truly anyone at any time. It's, I, I truly could not name a number one right now if, if everything depended on it. Like it, there's a situation where they're all our number one. All right, let's talk about Taylor Pleasant. She was a highly rated recruit coming in last year. She burst onto the scene with the walk-off against Oklahoma State the first weekend of 2020. She hit 383. Now she essentially had, I guess, what we'll call a practice year in 2020, more or less. What can she do to build off of her strong start as a true freshman into what is, I suppose, her redshirt freshman year, whatever we're calling 2021? We're calling it lucky us is what we're calling it because we get to have an extra year with Taylor Pleasance. And that is just lucky us because every coach should get to coach a Taylor Pleasance in their life because um, she just has it all. Um, you can see what she does on the field and it's obvious. I mean, you walk into our stadium and um, she just instantly stands out just presence and ability and all those things. But this this player, I don't want to call her a kid. She's not a kid anymore, right? This young woman has so many things about her that are just so awesome. Um, first one to the field and last one to leave. First one to help a teammate. She's got great grades. She's going to respond first in the group message. She's just got it all together um, and loves playing softball. And you just want to coach her. Um, and I, all of her teammates want to be around her. Um, and she's just a, a great, great person and player. And we're lucky to have her. And I could go on and on and on. And I hope I get to for the next four years about her. So she's special. She can do it all. Um, and we're fortunate to have her. Well, who's the Taylor Pleasance this year? You've already talked a little bit about Morgan Smith, but who are the newcomers coming in that can really make a splash for your program in 2021? Yeah, Morgan Smith has had a really solid fall. And you know, she's come from a great place, been with Marty Tyson in the last few years, and she just gets it and she can do it all, man. Um, you know, she spent the, the early part of the fall, mostly in the cages and in the bullpen. And first day we put her in the outfield and she ran a ball down, dove across the outfield, fired it home. The team was like, wow, this kid can really do it all. Um, the other one that can do it all is Allie Newland um, from the Georgia Impact. She's um, can catch, she can play the outfield, she can hit, she's a really true utility player, super intelligent. Um, there's a bunch of them I can go on and on. Danica Coffey had an awesome fall from the Texas Bombers. She's just so uh, fast and versatile, um, great, great triple threat player at the plate. Um, Presley Pylon, Kendi Hushmanzato looks solid in the infield. We've had a bunch of freshmen that um, have done so many good things. We're really proud of the group that we brought in. Mm -hmm. Something that we haven't really had a chance to talk with the other coaches about just because we've run out of time or it hasn't come up in some of these interviews is the recruiting situation right now, because I feel like every week we're seeing another notification. The dead period has been extended uh, for all these sports. How complicated is recruiting right now in college softball for you? What are you having to do to try and attract some of these high school kids to want to come when I assume everything's over Zoom? 
I think the cool thing about this, and you know, we can sit around and talk about all of the terrible things and the challenges, but it's making all of us grow. It's making us grow as coaches. It's making us be more creative and find new ways to do things. And um, while the old ways are great, it's also nice to have this kind of new school approach and um, new ways of doing things. And we've done that not just in recruiting through Zoom calls and, you know, different ways that kids can find campus tours, whether it be online or, you know, drawing them a map, things like that. I mean, there's just a lot of different ways um, that we're trying to expand what we do. Um, also with our practices, we've had to be really creative. And I think by being really creative, we've built um, a completely different type of team chemistry. We've built a lot more competitiveness this fall. So um, I think all these situations we're being put in are challenging and tough and probably not ideal, but they're forcing us to really be creative and come up with some new ways that I think are going to stick around for a long time. Mm-hmm. Something else I want to ask you specifically, because you're the only person right now in the conference that can answer it, is uh, something that Tom and I always talk about on the podcast, the rising tide lifts all boats kind of thing that happens when other programs at your school win national championship. LSU did that under Coach O with Joe Burrow and that fantastic offense. How did that national championship win for the football program help lift the LSU athletic department as a whole. Yeah. What we like to say is that success leaves clues. And I remember as you know, the team was having their championship run and um, we sat with the players quite often and said, what are the things they're doing that you like? What do you notice? What are things that stand out? Like, what do we need to do to be like them? Um, You know, when you see Joe Burrow in the dining hall, um, what is he doing? Like, what, what are the things that, what is he eating? Can we eat that? But really, I think he was just with his playbook over his meals I, all the time. So I can imagine his playbook had a lot of food in it because he was always sitting there uh, <laughs> staring at it while he was eating. But success leaves clues is, is what we've been with. And um, we asked a lot of the players and, and their interactions and what they learned. And we tried to learn from that too. Mm-hmm. LSU head coach Beth Trina joining us here for Softball Media Days. Okay, coach, a couple more things we want to get to. These are the questions we've asked all the coaches. I love hearing the answers to these things. First, analytics. It played a really big part in the World Series. We saw the Rays use it to get there. And then maybe it's the reason why they didn't end up winning the World Series title in baseball. How much do you use analytics in your program just in preparation, but also as you're going through a game and coaching? Well, this year we have a theme every year with our team. And this year's theme was called Make It Count. Um, So you can read a lot into that and you can make it go a lot of different ways. But one thing we've done is truly measure everything our players are doing from measuring, you know, if they caught a ground ball or not, measuring exit velocity, launch angle, um, you know, so many different things we're measuring, how swinging at strikes and swings and misses and measuring, like you talked about, first pitch strikes and things for quality pitches for the pitchers. So um, our players have gotten a pretty extensive uh, development plan and it's very uh, fact-based instead of opinion-based is the direction we're trying to move in. So it's been a little bit experimental for us, but I think um, they've really liked it. And we'll see how a lot of these numbers will play out um, in the spring for us. Um, I think we've measured things in the past, but we really tried to take it to another level this fall. So we'll see what that looks like for the spring. And uh, next time you see me, ask me that question again. (laughs) Absolutely. Is that something that kind of goes into account again with the matchup conversation that we had earlier about what pitcher you throw in conference series? Because now there is so much more data about these opposing hitters. 
Yeah, and I think so much about our game has changed in the last few years. It's just continuing to change, just the amount of information. You know, we've hired a, a full-time video coordinator five years ago just to deal with the amount of video and film and opportunities we have to get information about our opponents. And it's changed how we've done business. It's changed, you know, the way we go about things. And like I said, it's it's kind of either get on board or, or get off the train, right? Because it's coming. Same, same thing with some of this other stuff. So um, we've embraced it and we've enjoyed it. And, um, you know, it's, it's made me coach differently, but it, it's been a welcome change. All right. This is the question that we've gotten the most various answers on just everyone's touched on everything let's say you wake up tomorrow the results have been tabulated and you have been elected czar of college softball you're running the show what is one change that you would make it could be anything rules scheduling uh what the committee looks at for the tournament how the world series is run anything what's one change you would make Dang it. That's a tough question. Can we bring the props back in the dugout though? Cause you know, yes, we, we live in a Mardi Gras world here in Louisiana and we may be limited on Mardi Gras this year. So I think the tigers are going to need to bring some cheer back to the world. So I am bringing the props back to the dugout, including the horse head bead throwing and all of the things that go with it. I love that. That's the most fun answer we've had for sure. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And finally, Coach Torino, before we let you go, I, I want to bring a segment that we have usually on the podcast into the fold. When we go on the road, we have a segment called Tom's Hungry, named after my partner, where we review food that we have eaten in these various college towns. So I have to ask, what's your favorite place to eat in Baton Rouge? And do you have a favorite when you go on the road? Is there one spot where when you're traveling, you say we have to eat at that place? Dang, that's so tough. Baton Rouge is like all about the food, you know? I know. I'm most excited to hear from you for this question because yeah. I know there are so many options. Baton Rouge is all about the food. I have to choose wisely here, you know? Um, I think I will stick with the chimes um, or walk-ons or one of the places in town where you can get awesome Cajun food. Mm -hmm. So I think when you come to Baton Rouge, you have to eat the Cajun food. You've got to try it. You know, the charbroiled oysters, you got to do the stuff like you got to try it. So um, I think when you come to town, be prepared to try something you have never tried before. Um, and when we're on the road, I like a lot of places, so many, but I like eating California Dreamin' in Columbia, South Carolina. That is my favorite restaurant and my favorite trip. Okay. We have not been there. So we will add that to the list for 2021. If we go to South Carolina, who really knows? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I had my backpack to go there in uh, 2020. I actually right. had my suitcase, rolled it up and didn't get to take it. So. Uh, well, hopefully we will see you in 2021, whether it's in Tuscaloosa or in Baton Rouge. And if it is in Baton Rouge, we'll be heading to the chimes and to walk-ons and eating all those famous Cajun places in town. Please do. I'm sure they will give you plenty of their hospitality and they will love to have you. Uh, perfect. Thank you so much for joining us, Coach. This was awesome. Thanks for having me. So that's Beth Tarina. Tom, I love the walk-ons reference. Do you mm. remember in 2019 when Alabama went to Baton Rouge and swept LSU? The and greatest, one of the greatest weekends of all time. Yes, Allie Habits still has dreams about that game three. <laughs> I, I, I have dreams of the cookout at the at the Allison Habits Ranch afterwards. Of course, but prior yeah. to that, we went to lunch at Walk-Ons, one mm -hmm. of the 
restaurants mentioned by Betarina. Do you remember the Krispy Kreme bread pudding that we purchased? Yeah. <laughs> and it was amazing. Yeah, oh, I just wanted to stuff. just wanted to say that. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> bring bring that fond memory back. And they're actually building a walk-ons in Tuscaloosa. I don't know oh. that. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to that being finished. Not far from my house, actually. Well, here we go. Sorry, yes. we're no longer doing cookouts in your driveway. We're going to walk-ons. You did great, but unless we're unless you're making Krispy Kreme bread pudding, we're going to walk-ons. <laughs> yeah, but I like what we heard from Betarina. And again, another coach, really excited about 2021. I feel like a broken record, but this is actually a coach that I think has a team that can make the World Series. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, again, you have that, that depth in the, in the circle, it's going to be just hard to score. And if, if you, if you give up, you know, one, two runs a game, you're going to win most of those games. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's not like their offense isn't good. So yeah, I, I think they're, they're definitely going to be, they're going to be a contender. They're going to be a problem for the people at the top of the top of the conference this year. Yeah. You heard coach talk about Taylor Pleasance. I, I'm so excited to, uh, to watch LSU. I think, and again, as we record and you heard me talk about it with Joe Evans, we don't know the scheduling. It's probably not going to be announced until at, at best mid-January, I would think. So yeah. people quit commenting on Facebook posts asking they if the know. schedule's out. It's not. No. I think we're going to be in a situation where Alabama and LSU could decide the conference again. And while I think Florida's still going to hover around the last couple of years, it has trended to the point where that Alabama LSU series looks like it will decide who will win the sec it could it could definitely be the case that's for sure uh, i'm i'm still holding on to the thought that it still could have been the case last year with everybody back everybody healthy with these inflated rosters um it's it's only going to help the teams that were already good to begin with having extra good players <laughs> yeah. now so. i do say that pointing out that alabama lsu this is their off year but if the schedule goes the way it it unfortunately feels like it's trending as Joe Evans and I talked about earlier in the show, Alabama and LSU could end up playing. Yeah. Who knows? And if it does, yeah. if they do play, I do think that will decide the conference. Even if it's not a, a conference only schedule, it, I think, I think there's definitely a possibility that it's going to be a more than usual conference schedule. Yeah. Uh, so we'll, we'll, we'll see how that, all that goes. But again, as we're seeing with football this year, if it's a conference only type schedule or, or a more than usual conference schedule, that's only going to help the better teams. Right. They're, they're only, and it's, it's unfortunately going to hurt some of the, the other teams that, that, that try to get some wins outside of the conference, but we'll, we'll, we'll see how that goes, but that's only going to help in, in Alabama and an LSU if there's playing more conference games. Yeah. Talent rises in a, in mm-hmm. conference only games. Tom, let's uh, let's take a break. When we come back, we're going to give some final thoughts from day three and get ready for day four with four coaches. Woo! Oh, my gosh. Media days rolls on. We're going to step aside real quick. We'll be right back to wrap things up. All right, Tom, let's conclude. Final thoughts. We talked Kentucky. We talked Texas A&M. We talked LSU. The Enigma, the team trying to fight their way back up, and the team I think that is primed to make a push in the SEC. I think we got a different array of squads in the standings, all with coaches who I think are very optimistic for 2021. 
but we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I think we got a good variety of teams this in this episode. Uh, three teams that are kind of in different spots within the conference uh, that could give us different perspectives on how 2020 ended and, and how 2021 is going to go. And I, I'm with you. I, I think I think LSU is going to be a definite contender. I think Kentucky has the opportunity if everything falls their way, uh, kind of the same way. I think AM has an opportunity if everything falls their way to move up in the conference. I'm not, I'm not sure there's a way that they can contend for the title, but uh, I think they, they have the opportunity. It just, as, as I've said, with, said before, no one is getting worse. So every, people are going to have to maybe judge things in ways other than just necessarily wins and losses, especially if it is a, a weighted conference schedule. Tom, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to put you on the spot. I'm going to ask you to make a prediction. Of the three teams we talked about today, how many are hosting regionals? In 2021. Regionals? I think two of the three can. How many yeah. are hosting supers? One. I think so too. Yeah. I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go two of the three for regionals. I'm gonna go zero for supers. I feel like LSU will be a nine seed, maybe a 10, something like that. But you still think that could be a World Series team, though. I do. Because yeah. I, I think with LSU, and I should have said this earlier. This is a team to me that when they make the World Series, I feel like they come from that 10, 11, kind of under the radar slot. A couple of years ago, they made it when they were around 500 in the conference and unseated. That was right. a while back. But still, I mean, this is a program that you don't see often as a one, two, three, four, five seed. And yet they still have that success. That's true. But if, if they don't have that late in this regular season swoon that they normally do, then I think they're easily hosting. For sure. Yeah, it's, it's usually that it's usually that swoon that cost of the Super Regional. Yeah, no, that's right on the money. They should have been Super Sos in 2019, but they, you know, got swept at home and then lost to Kelly Barnhill. So, yeah, tough, tough out here. I, Don't lose I, to Baylor, too. Yeah, try not to do that. I, I thoroughly enjoyed that sweep <laughs> that they had, though, at the end of 2019. That was fun. It was a good time. All right. It was good time. <laughs> I never not have a good time in Baton Rouge, uh, but that was that was like a new level of good time. True. <laughs> All right, Tom. Day four. We've got Patrick Murphy, Alabama, Bev Smith, South Carolina, Lou Harris, Champer, Georgia, Jamie Traxel, Ole Miss. It's action packed. Four of the best. The new kid on the block, Jamie Traxel at Ole Miss versus two of the most, I guess, storied coaches in the conference. Patrick Murphy, who's got over 400 SEC wins, he got that in 2019, versus the person second on that list in career SEC wins, Lou Harris-Champer, at least yeah. active coaches. So, I mean, it's an interesting array of conversations about their programs. Yeah, again, kind of the same thing I just said about what we just had here in episode three, a good variety, and it kind of shows the variety of coaches that are you know, here in the SEC. Um, and it'll be interesting to see as we take a look at how each one kind of perceives where their program is at and where the, the sport of softball as a whole is at, uh, which I think has been a lot of fun. That's the one thing I've been really enjoyed probably the most about all these interviews is that we, we've been able to get a perspective of the coaches on how they feel about the sport as a whole and not just necessarily about who their second team, you know, who their number two pitcher in the circle is. We've right. talked about that too, but we get, we get a whole lot of really good over, like, overview of things from all these coaches. Yeah, we get good answers for the roster stuff. And we know that you, the listeners, and the fans of these teams want to hear that. My favorite answers are 
the czar question, the analytics question, and just questions about the state of the sport. My favorite question that I have asked this whole time was to Joe Evans when I asked the question about with all these tournaments getting canceled, do you feel like that forces the hand of conferences to go conference only? That was one of the best answers I've heard of any coach we've talked to. And I love hearing how much all these coaches care about the sport and want it to keep growing and are concerned because the moment that we are in has stalled what was kind of a rocket ship. Right. As I say, right now it's hard for anything to grow, you know, with, with there being just so much uncertainty, so much, so many different things hampering. I, it's good to see that all these coaches still have the growth mindset and that the, the hope and, and the desire and the plan is when, when everything is, when we're capable of doing it, the growth will continue. Yeah. All right, Tom. Any final thoughts before we tell people where they can find us? Just uh, I hope, hope everyone's enjoyed what we've had so far. And I know a lot of people follow us because we're Alabama. Uh, we're the Alabama radio crew and we talk Alabama a lot and uh, Alabama's coming up. So that's right. Join, join us for episode four. <laughs> we saved it for the finale for all you folks saying, why are you talking to Auburn and Florida before you talk <laughs> to Alabama? We got to it. It's coming. It yes. is dropping on Friday, December 11th. Yes. Not Friday the 13th. We avoided that. We've got Friday yes. the 11th. Turn on those notifications. So, so you get the, you know, when it happens. Yes. And like retweet all that jazz, subscribe, leave a review. Tom, where can people find you? Check me out on Twitter at T Canterbury, R-T-R, that's C-A-N-T-E-R-B-U-R-Y. I, I think people should follow me during Alabama football games because that's, I have fun. It's been fun. So you got a little quippy during the previous yeah. game that, that we just had as Alabama yeah. was continuing on what appears to be a run to the college football playoff. You know, you know, when, uh, hopefully now some people will know how to act when they win games. That's all I'm saying. Gracious winners, gracious losers. We can you know, all learn from each other and get it's better. It's important. Yes. It's important to know. We're a family, Gray, as I said. Tom, it just means <laughs> more. Shrug, shrug, indeed. <laughs> Head tilt. You can follow me <laughs> at Gray, G-R-A-Y underscore Robertson. Follow the podcast at out of the box underscore pod. Keep spreading the word about the sport. And we're trying to do that with the podcast. So tell everybody to follow us and listen real indeed it's a cause and effect so yes let's help let's try and be the only growth for the sport right now <laughs> <laughs> and we and we do as we've said before we appreciate the sports information directors and everybody who kind of helped help put us this together uh, allowed us to talk with the coaches and also we've seen some of the official team accounts that have retweeted and, and have tagged us and and shown out when their coaches have been on and uh, anybody else that if you are now listening to us for the first time because of that, uh, we appreciate it. And uh, don't take it personally when we get into the season. Yeah, it's all in good fun. We fun. will always tell the <laughs> truth. We might make yes. fun of some of the teams. We might make fun of Alabama at times, but we always tell the truth. We keep it real. We keep it, as the kids say, 100. Yes, I think I think you said that correctly. I aged I myself so much. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right, that's day three of Softball Media Days. We've now talked to nine of the 13 SEC schools. We've got four left to discuss on the fourth and final episode of this project. Thank you to Coach Rachel Lawson, Coach Joe Evans, Coach Beth Tarina. We've got one episode left. It is supersized. Tom, are you ready for Alabama, South Carolina, Georgia, and Ole Miss? 
I'm, I'm stoked, and I feel as though we should call somebody from Vanderbilt just to finish it off. Jerry Stackhouse, <laughs> you're welcome to come on the show if you want. We are going out with a bang, so stay tuned, because that episode, episode four, will drop December 11th. That is a Friday. For my partner, Tom Canterbury, I'm Greg Robertson saying so long. One more episode. Keep staying safe. We will see you next time on the Out of the Box Podcast.